You're listening to the Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle Dolan as she interviews a range of prominent leaders about their experiences. Her guests share stories about challenges they have faced during their career, as well as important learning opportunities or moments of insight. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are encouraged to embrace authenticity and real communication. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next edition of Authentic Leadership, where I have the pleasure of speaking to Grant McBeath, who is the Customer Director at Spark New Zealand. Welcome, Grant. Thank you, Gabriel. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so am I. We've been uh, we've been working with each other for a while now with you and the Spark team. Um, so I'm getting to know you quite well. But for our listeners, who, let's let's find a little bit about you. So where did you grow up? Uh, I had the privilege of growing up on the North Shore of Auckland. So uh, North Shore of Auckland, we've got some awesome beaches, loads of parks and sports fields and some pretty cool schools. So as far as uh, a place to be brought up, it was really, really inspiring for me as a kid. Yeah. And what, and what was your family makeup? How many brothers, sisters did you have? Yeah, I've got two brothers, one older brother, Craig, um, and a younger brother, Scott, who lives over in uh, the UK with his family. So uh, three boys, I was in the middle, and um, we had a, a good uh, a good rivalry going through those uh, formative years. <laughs> I, I often wonder with three boys, where, where would you prefer to be the oldest or the youngest or the middle? Like, do you have middle kid syndrome, whatever that is? I don't have middle <laughs> kid syndrome, but I think middle probably is the best, right? You're, you're breaking your ground at... at at um at number one um and you don't want to be the youngest because you're going to lose everything right so uh, I thought middle I thought middle was pretty cool yeah I'm um I've got seven brothers and sisters and I'm the sixth and so you talk about the older ones sort of had to cop it a bit and breaking new ground by by the time we came along mum and dad was sort of like whatever whatever you yeah. want to do yeah it's good and my younger sister could got away with murder um so what was your first job you ever did what like your first paid job all right. My first paid job was delivering newspapers when I was 10 years old. Um, and pretty much from that day on, I've always had part-time jobs. So, you know, either delivering milk on milk runs, um, working convenience stores, pumping gas like every uh, every young lad does. Um, I worked at Pizza Hut being a, a chef as well as a waiter and a delivery driver. Um, I did furniture removals as well. And then uh, I, I sort of balanced full-time concreting uh, while I was doing my undergraduate degree uh, full-time as well. So that was fantastic because if you ever need motivation to complete a degree, you know, stand on the end of a shovel, concreting, um, you know, pulling, pushing concrete around, that'll, that's the motivation you desire. Um, but my first grown-up job was actually at Coca-Cola. So I cut my teeth there uh, in a graduate recruitment program. And crikey, I love that brand um, and the opportunities that it created for me off the back of it. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you go from all that into the corporate world? So was Coca-Cola your sort of first corporate gig? Yeah, it was. It was. It was um, It was fascinating for me because um, in those days we had sort of, um, we had palm pilots that you had to go back to base to download your orders for the day. And it was a very, in that transitionary phase of um, sort of on the cusp of mobile phones, but we had pages um, but there were in the business, there was probably in Auckland, there was probably 50 or 60 reps aged sort of 21 to 32, um, all piling down to um, download their orders and, and catch up and have a few drinks. And uh, it was a really social time, some outstanding standards, 
uh, some great brand elements and, and learning, um, some pretty cool conferences and a, whole, uh, and a, and a great bunch of people to, uh, to sort of cut your teeth with. So tell us a bit um, what you do now and I guess how did you progress into that? So, you know, where, where do you, what do you do now? All right, so uh, I'm currently the director, uh, the customer director at Spark, which is a digital services provider in New Zealand. Um, I have a huge role in shaping our future leaders and helping our teams be the best version of themselves, which is what really drives me, motivates me, and helps me jump out of bed um, each morning. Um, what I'm accountable for is sort of the sales and service channels across all of our customer segments, so from government, enterprise, corporate, down through SME and into consumer. Also got the consumer marketing teams, uh, cloud and IT managed services businesses, and our telco and collaboration businesses. So the CEOs of those uh, businesses report into me. Um, so if you were to boil it down, I'm effectively accountable for the revenue of the organisation. Um, but what really motivates me is, you know, lining up alongside our clients and customers and, and creating environments with which our teams can really thrive. Yeah. Got to really off that. It sounds like you've got a massive job. <laughs> I'm, I'm honoured that you've taken the time to do this podcast. And um, and where do you live now? Do you still live in Auckland? I do. So I've gone full circle. So I, I spent 15 years living overseas, um, but I'm back on the North Shore of Auckland. It's it's just in the blood, right? Where uh, you know it's it's we've got the beaches on our doorstep. I find the ocean really calming for me. I love to walk the ocean in the morning. I walk the beaches in the morning or at night. You know, swim a lot in the sea and 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 just chill out around the around the water. Excellent. So let's get into your career a little bit. Well, we've already started on that, but who had the biggest influence on you growing up or during your early career? Yeah, that's a simple one for me. My father, he was always the biggest influence on me. Um, he was a, I wouldn't say he's a workaholic, but he was he was very busy, um, you know, home improvements, working bees with sports teams, schools, community, neighbourhood, um, but really instilled a really strong work ethic on me. And that's why I think I started um, part-time jobs at such a young age, was always always working, always pretty fiercely and uh, independent. Um, but he's also really good at focus, focusing me directionally on skill sets and careers where I could be successful. So I remember the one of the first things he ever said is be an accountant, be an accountant, count the money. Um, and I did do that right through to um, uh, stage three at uh, university. Uh, but I never wanted to be a, an accountant. I just always wanted it as a really strong foundational uh, principle. Um, and Dad was, um, whilst he worked really hard, I, I, I don't remember ever him not being on the sidelines when I had a sports event uh, or anything important to me. He would always uh, be able to balance, you know, what was important with um, with the family and the work-life balance. So he was he was an incredible father. Mm. What, were, what were your main sports you played? Uh, pretty much anything that would get me out of school, right? So um, I, I played rugby and athletics and cricket and we surfed as young guys and was softball and cross country and swimming. You just, you name it, anything that we uh, we could get out of school to do and um, and have a bit of fun with it. And primarily team sports were, uh, were, were my bag. Yeah, excellent. So what's been the biggest challenge you've faced in your career? Uh, the thing that's always been my biggest challenge has been perfectionism. And I don't mean that to sound like I'm perfect because clearly I'm not perfect, but it's been a massive Achilles heel for me. I've always strived to do the best I can, uh, but it's such a limiter on, on every individual if they have this unrealistic expectation of, of, of perfection. Uh, you end up only ever, you know, delivering safe ideas because you, you know, you don't want to be, um, you don't want to fail um, and it really does create a tough environment for your team to, to measure up to. 
Um, and showing vulnerability in that environment is tough as well if you perceive to be a perfectionist and you behave like a perfectionist. So, so I think the, real, the realization for me over the last few years that exploring and being creative takes a very different leadership approach to being iterative. Um, and that's been the eye opener for me. Um, so I've got to show up in the right way in those different environments, whether it be uh, short term, finite resources, what are we going to do to deliver the number? Or what are we going to explore? How are we going to innovate? How are we going to create to create future growth? Um, that's a very different environment. And perfectionist for, perfectionism for me has been a big challenge, which I still continue to, uh, to battle against, but I'm certainly much more aware of it than I was earlier in my career. Yeah, so I was, I was going to ask you, was it was that awareness that this is perhaps not the best approach or holding you back or whatever? Was that a was it a moment or or has it sort of happened over like I think you just said the last few years? What what, what did something drive that? Well, look, I think it's definitely it evolves, right? So I think as you as you start your career and you're an individual contributor, uh, and I've always been in sales type roles, so you measure yourself based on the you know the outcomes you deliver, and it's very easy to measure yourself against your peer group because it's you know your, your numbers are very clear to see how you perform, um, and you want to be the best. You're driven, you're motivated, and and you go through that phase. Um, Thankfully, I had some amazing leaders through my life that inspired me that once I got my first leadership role, it's about creating an environment with which the team can thrive in. Um, so you sort of pivot from the self to the team. But at the same time, if you've got that perfectionism, perfectionistic slant, when anything goes up the food chain, whether it be a presentation, whether it be, you know, a memo, whatever that is, you know, you put your own um, your fingerprints on it. And if you keep raising the bar, then how the hell are your team ever going to grow and develop? And, and, and so, you know, learning where to coach and where to give them um, room to, to sort of make mistakes and learn off those mistakes and, and coach them through that process, I think, is super important. So I think as, as all of us, the further we go through our careers, the more leadership assessments that we have and the more assessments and 360s we get. And um, LSI has been a big one for me. Um, and that uh, that highlights a couple of things for me, competitive and, uh, and perfectionistic, which um, may sound like positive traits and, and in small doses, they absolutely are. Um, but if you're not aware of them, then uh, they can become a massive Achilles heel pretty quickly. Yeah, it's um any any strength overdone can easily become a weakness very very quickly without without you knowing about it. So, what's been the the biggest highlight of your career and why? Look, I think for me, it's hard to look back and away from the biggest role in my career, and that's the role I'm currently in. It's the broadest and most complex role I've ever undertaken. It's really stretched me to lift up across so many broad units and focus the teams on the strategy and execute against that and. You know, I'm, I haven't been in cloud and IT managed services um, before. So, you know, being in those environments has been a big, big learning curve, but really, really rewarding. So our ability to continue to deliver, to deliver against all of the current disruption in the, in the world um, and the change has been really cool. Um, I love how dynamic ICT and digital services is. I mean, it's clearly the future. Um, all of innovation and creativity uh, or a lot of creativity is being focused off, you know, all of the convergence of, you know, augmented reality and virtual reality and edge compute and cloud. And, you know, there's so many of these buzzwords that are in technology for so long that are converging and, and creating exponential growth opportunities, which is which is wicked. So that role has been amazing. Um, but crikey, it's hard to look past Nokia. You know, I had the privilege of nine years at Nokia. I traveled the world. I lived in New Zealand with them. I moved to Australia. 
Um, then I moved up to Singapore and Thailand and I was going to Finland regularly, which is head office and up to Singapore and, and sort of Beijing, which are regional offices and, and going to various conferences around the world. So, you know, as far as um, as far as a learning and leadership experience, both personally and professionally, it was really cool time. Cultural awareness for me and my family, the adaptability and flexibility growth was awesome. And seeing a multinational with such strong cultural norms deliver the same corporate culture across so many global markets was really inspiring. Uh, downsides, living in hotel rooms and spending so much time on aeroplanes. Uh, and that certainly seems like a lifetime away from, uh, you know, traveling via our teams and Zoom like we do today. Yeah, I was going to say, because I know I know you've got kids. Was that, was that, did you have kids when you're doing all that travel? And was that a challenge for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. We had um, we had three kids. One of the one of the kids was three months when we moved from New Zealand to um, Sydney. Um, middle child, Luke, and then Isabel was born in Singapore, so that was pretty cool. Um, but just seeing them thrive in those environments, um, you know, and the exposure they got to different cultures at school, um, you know, because they were the odd ones out versus them being, you know, the the majority. I think um, really set them up. Um, well for coming back to New Zealand and embracing diversity uh, and inclusion and um, and just being a little bit more open to you know different you know people from different uh, backgrounds and and really that empathy that goes alongside that. Mm. Um, can I just go back to the job you've got now it's like you sort of said as a highlight because it's by far the biggest job was that um, was that a job you applied for and you had on your radar or was it a bit of a tap on the shoulder how did that come about? Uh, yeah, great question. Um, so I joined um, Telecom New Zealand, which is now Spark, uh, nine and a half years ago now, and I was the general manager of sales and um, you know from a from the mass side of the business, our retail stores and our um, and our uh, SME business hubs. And then as as I've gone through my career, I've evolved and adapted, and I picked up service and our contact center business and digital channels. Um, I was had the privilege of being acting CEO of that mass business um, as we started to redesign the organization when we flipped to Agile. Um, so I did that for about six months. And then when we flipped to Agile, we removed the, the business units and we became a much more cross-functional um, sort of organization with one PL. Um, and as part of that, um, you know, Simon embraced a new structure. So I sort of went back to a role that um, ran, um, was very similar to my previous role. And then as Simon uh, decided that he was moving on, um, he appointed, uh, alongside the board, appointed um, Jolie Hodson as our CEO. And then Jolie um, then went through a process to appoint me into the customer director role. But as far as the role that I had right between my crosshairs and the role that I always wanted to do, this is absolutely uh, that role. So this was... Uh, the role that I really did um, set myself up for, as far as the one that I wanted to achieve, and and I, I love the role. I love the, I love the scope of the role. The team is is outstanding, um, and the engagement with clients and how we show up for them is uh, is really rewarding. Mm. Well, I'm glad you like it. If you had your heart set on it, that would be a bit disappointing. If you got there and went, oh, this isn't what I thought. Hey, how was we've sort of touched on this a bit, but how has your leadership changed um, throughout your life? Yeah, I, I was. Privileged to have some great leaders through my career that really role modeled the pivot required from individual contributor to leader. And I think I highlighted that earlier on, um, you know, the importance of connecting with your team, inspiring them to connect to their purpose and the company one uh, and create an environment where they succeed are all super important. 
Um, I always, I've always primarily operated in, in Horizon Zero, so delivering every week, every month, every quarter, every half, every fiscal year. Um, and I'm really good with finite resources, clear resource, uh, clear targets and resources, and I'll back my team that will be able to deliver. Um, and as I highlighted earlier on, where I've really challenged myself is in the growth and innovation areas where you have to remove some of those traditional shackles and um, parameters you put around um, environments. Um, timelines, et cetera, to create that environment for innovation uh, where you can fail, where you can trial and pivot um, has been a real um, exciting change for me and a really interesting awareness pivot for me. So, you know, Matt Bain, my, uh, one of my peers, who's our marketing director, who's, um, who's a real disruptor, uses a, a line called think big, start small, scale fast. And I really mm -hmm. like that, you know, and it's, um, it sort of shapes how we try and show up from an innovation and a creativity perspective. Um, but, but really, that has been the big change for me is really driving that horizon zero balance with ensuring the strategy and the environments uh, conducive and adaptable for growth and innovation. Yeah, because as you were talking about there and your perfectionism, it's like a perfectionist going into an agile environment would be a challenge, I would imagine. Yeah, it is. And it's actually, um, it's probably the the most um, tangible uh, or demonstrable example of where as a leader you have to step back uh, and you have to create the environment because you're not on the squad. Um, you've got to be crystal clear with your priorities and you've got to support the team along the way and ask the right questions, but stand back and get out of their way uh, and let the agile magic do its, do its, do its work. And it's, it's been a really rewarding um, experience to observe agile um, from a traditional hierarchical manner. And certainly for the right environments, I'd absolutely take Agile into every single one of them because it's way faster. Employee engagement is higher and, you know, your customer centricity, you know, goes off the charts. Yeah, yeah. Hire good people and get out of out, yeah. out of their way. Um, have you had a time where you've uh, your values have been challenged in anything and what you did? Yeah, I have. Um, and when I say challenged, I wasn't really challenged with regards to confronting it. So I ran distribution strategy as part of my um, head of sales operations leadership role across Southeast Asia and Pacific. And so what that meant is part of that, you would have to design out what's the best distribution strategy across all of your markets. We had big markets like Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, Malaysia, uh, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal, um, Australia, New Zealand, et cetera. And you'd have to design out with the local team what's the optimal structure to uh, maximize our market share and our, and our, and our profitability. Um, and so as part of that, uh, you then had to implement that strategy. You had to then select resources, uh, select partners and run that process. And then in parts of Asia, you get some entrepreneurial um, uh, um, businesses who would offer you various inducements to um, potentially go outside of the uh, process to award uh, distribution ships to, um, to their businesses. Um, and so, you would get these offers, but it was never, ever an issue because, you know, morally and ethically, it goes completely against our values. And, um, you know, you'd have to be very transparent uh, with that naturally. Um, but I didn't find an issue with it. But it was uh, quite confronting because there's some big sums of, of money being offered. And it's a bit of an eye opener to, you know, certain cultures as to how business is done. Um, mm. 
And I think that's what I was particularly proud of with Nokia is we were very resolute with regards to what was okay and what was not okay um, with regards to our values. And we, we really based our, our brand and our people uh, would determine how we would show up rather than um, anything that was um, untoward. Mm. You, um, thanks for that. Thanks for sharing that. So, um, and you're talking about how you love, you, look, you clearly love your job, um, but what do you love right now? Right now, what do you love about your job? As I said earlier on, you know, I've, I reckon I've got the best team in the country. I wouldn't want anybody else. Uh, when I look at the competition, I go, man, I'd back our team any day of the week. Um, our purpose, helping all of New Zealand win big in a digital world. I mean, that's super cool. It's been with us for probably five or six years now. And every time we sort of have a think about, oh, how do we tinker with it? Do we do we modernise it at all? But it just lands and it lands across every uh, customer segment. Um, and it sort of really does typify how we want to show up and, and uh, how we want to motivate our, our, our teams um, and our clients. Ultimately, you know, we have the privilege of um, some of the biggest uh, businesses in New Zealand, government agencies, corporates and enterprises. Um, and so helping them, um, you know, partner alongside them to deliver on their strategy is really ultimately what Spark's all about. We want to earn the right to rewin our clients' business every day. And the way we do that is lining up alongside them and helping them realise the outcomes that they're going to be famous for. Um, so you boil all of those elements together, fantastic team, great brand and purpose, and some incredible um, customers. You know, how could you not love that environment? Um, it certainly ticks all my boats. Boxes. Mm. Yeah, look, as I said at the start, I've had the pleasure of working with your team over the last six months. And, um, you know, I said to you in an email, and I don't say it lightly, is probably the one, the, one of the most engaged and energised and um, fully committed to, you know, what we were doing together. Um, and you don't see it that often. So I'm sure that is a huge testament to your leadership um, as well as their commitment. So what's you've talked about how much you love the jobs. What's what's the hardest bit? So what, what's the hardest part about your job? I think the hardest part would be the pandemic, right? You know, in navigating through a pandemic where our teams aren't as connected as they normally would be, you add skills shortages, um, you know, the great sick as far as, um, you know, COVID, supply chain constraints, difficulty accessing customer premises, and also customers, you know, you've got to realise that you aren't your customer's number one priority, you know, modernising their legacy IT infrastructure or updating their network, you know, that doesn't necessarily become their top priority when they're trying to understand their own business model and how it's being disrupted and how they can deliver on that. Um, so that's hard when you pride yourself on delivery, when you've got analysts who expect you and shareholders naturally who expect you to deliver uh, in an environment where you can't predict um, what's going to happen. So balancing all those needs and then that re constant reprioritisation re um, is, is a real challenge. But again, I, you know, I've just got such a fantastic team that can make that sort of magic happen. Um, and the importance on enterprise leadership and role modelling that enterprise leadership so that individual agendas are, are thrown by the wayside and we do, do whatever's right for our clients and our teams and our organisation, um, you know, it's pretty cool to see that come to life. Mm. You spoke about the, you know, the hardest bit is it has been the pandemic the last couple of years, but um, I guess I, I, on the flip side, what's a silver lining and perhaps personally what's been a silver lining for you with the pandemic? Look, I think the world finally embracing hybrid working environments meaningfully. I think we've all grown up, right? And the fact that you don't necessarily even need to be in the same country 
uh, let alone the same office, to be able to get work done. And I think even in a sales environment where sales has traditionally been such a relationship model, um, you know, you still need that relationship, but you don't necessarily need to fly down to Wellington or Christchurch or drive across town. You can actually be a lot more productive um, from a hybrid working environment. So I think that's been really cool. And I think business, seeing businesses fast track their own digital transformations, um, you know, I've used the word modernization a few times and it's a bit of a corporate buzzword, wank word, whatever you want to call it. Um, but, you know, legacy infrastructure does hold you back. Legacy systems, processes, applications do hold you back. And as we move into a borderless world where, you know, your biggest competitor could be a digital provider in a completely different market or an over-the-top player, if you don't have your, your systems, um, you know, digitized and automated and, you know, you're really crystal clear around the, the customer experience that you want to deliver and how you want to optimize your, bar, your business using data and a data-driven operating model, it's just, it's so inspiring to see legacy businesses finally get it. This is the, the sort of thing that they need to, to motivate them to, to do so and then help them uh, enable that and then deliver it, I think has, has been pretty cool. Yeah, I think the pandemic has um, fast-tracked a lot of things that, uh, you know, companies were saying, no, we can't do that. Um, and even just the working from home, no, it's, you know, it's, it's, I reckon that's one of going to be the great silver linings of this more flexible hybrid model. So let's move from work now and then when, so, and your personal. So when you're not at work, what is the one thing that you absolutely love doing? Well, if you had have asked me this two years ago, I would have said traveling. Um, <laughs> I've had the privilege of doing a lot of travel around New Zealand in the past and actually over the last couple of years. So don't get me wrong, I still travel, but I really miss you know, Europe, um, States, you know, Asia, just traveling and exploring. Um, but I've got a holiday home up north on a beach north of Auckland uh, where I love to golf, walk, barbecue, swim, fall off a surfboard. Uh, it's such a great beach to share with friends and family and loved ones. So you know, having um, having the privilege of spending a lot of time up there in a hybrid working environment or in a lockdown, whatever you want to call it, but actually being on the beach and being able to look out across the bay, you know, is, is a pretty inspiring uh, environment to be creative and uh, and do what you need to do. So, you know, I, I love being active. I'm an active relaxer. I've got OCD and a little bit of ADHD probably in there somewhere. So, I'm always busy, always doing something, whether it be gardening or whether it be cleaning or whether it be you know, having a couple of beers with mates, um, you know, anything outside and, and to do with the water and the ocean is uh, right up my alley. <laughs> I've loved that uh, active relaxer. I think I'm one of those too. Have, have you got a, have you got a holiday planned, an overseas holiday planned at this stage? I'm going to Sanctuary Cove um, next uh, month for a mate's 50th. Mm -hmm. um, so that'll be a golfing trip. I also do a thing with my children whereby when they turn 16, I'll take them anywhere in the world that they want to go. And I know that's that's a first world problem and it's a privilege to be able to do so. Um, but I've take, I took my oldest son to New York and to LA and my middle son, um, I think he wants to go to Las Vegas. So that'll be later in the year and, and we'll have a bit of a bit of a fun time over there but um yeah no I'm really excited about the, the world opening up and um and uh you know travel starting to get on no not only from a personal perspective but also you know one of the things I've really uh learned the most from is study tours where you know you and one or two colleagues can go and see like like businesses or partners 
around the world and really, you know, get under the covers and, and immerse yourselves in, um, you know, their business model or, or, or learn from them. Um, you know, we're particularly proud of some of the great stuff we do, but, you know, learning from others and sharing their best practices is, uh, is what it's all about. Mm. I've got a, a similar thing. I took my eldest daughter, Alex, when she was 18, she came to Malaysia for a work trip for me and, uh, and she got to meet Barack Obama because I was doing work for the Obama Foundation, so it was pretty cool. Um, but I'm going to New York in June, in June, and my younger daughter Jess is 18, and it falls right in between um, uni holidays, and she's going. And so, yeah, she's going. Mum, I'm I'm coming with you. And okay, so that'll be cool. Would be very cool. I think it's good to go away with just one of your kids at a time and give them the full full yeah. your full time and energy with them. So if you could change one thing about you, what would it be? And you can't say nothing. I won't say nothing because there's <laughs> so much that I would love to change about me. But I think if anybody could guess based on this thread so far, it's the perfectionism streak. Um, and as I say, I don't get me wrong, I don't for a second believe I'm anywhere near that. But for whatever reason, uh, I've created this expectation and I haven't even had it on the golf course. For some reason, I'm such a hacker. But I think I'm Tiger Woods and I should hit the purest golf shot every time. But um Hey, that's me. It's I'm aware of it and really strongly aware of it now. And it's um and I, I've definitely put some um some changes in my life that have um have allowed that perfectionism streak to be toned down and put back in its box. And um, but that's what I'd really want to change from an earlier stage. Mm. Well, can I just say, um, you know, only knowing you for the, you know, for a few years, I would never have put you as a perfectionist um, because what I what I see from you and what I see when you're dealing with me and when you're dealing with your team is this absolute um, vulnerability and and like absolutely being out front that I don't have all the answers and I'm learning, you know, the the work we did with your team you put it out there right away that I'm learning and struggling with this as much as everyone else is. So I, you, whatever you're doing to put your perfectionism back in your box, I reckon you're probably there. No, thank you. I mean, vulnerability is, um, it's been an outstanding change in corporate world over the last sort of five years or so. Right. And it's, um, it's something that's really resonated with me. Um, you know, because of that perfectionism streak, um, I, I've, gone through my life with high expectations on myself and others putting high expectations on me. Um, and hence, that's why I've always been very driven and motivated. And um, I've set really high demands on myself and, and potentially my teams that have been around me. And it's been a, a big driver and catalyst for success and, and whatever, you, however you want to measure that. But what I've found with vulnerability, it's not until you role model or showcase vulnerability do you actually get vulnerability back. And as as we all know, you know, vulnerability is such a great driver of trust. You know, I've, I've been divorced, um, and it wasn't till I showed or, or talked about being divorced did people open up. And everybody's got their demons. Everybody's got something they're dealing with. Um, equally, I had the misfortune last year of my wife uh, dying of cancer. Um, and, you know, again, vulnerability, you know, being open to your emotions and, and sharing the journey you're on, um, how you're dealing with it. I didn't have all the tools, you know, I had to go and see a psychologist because, you know, she's I've never dealt with anything like that before. Um, but then how you can then apply that learned experience to other people, regardless of where they're at on their grief journey, um, has been really inspiring for me. And I've got a lot of personal value out of that. And I know that the people that I've helped 
you know, just give my my um, my experience and my perception or view on on what's happening and and how I went about it without again being the right answers. And I'm still only a year into that journey. Mm. Um, but uh, that's been really cool to see how people have reacted to that um, and how I've been able to apply that, you know, as, as you sort of highlighted, um, vulnerability to my own knowledge and, you know, have I got this? No, I don't need it. I need help from my peers um, or external support. So I think uh, that vulnerability is, has been such an inspiring uh, leadership trait or personality trait to come through corporates um, and I, you know, with Spark with its growth mindset focus um, has really led that out in spades. And I think it, it shows up brilliantly for the teams and it really galvanizes um, loyalty amongst your group and, and that willingness to, to tap into discretionary effort when called upon, which I, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I think, um, you know, this whole podcast is around authentic leadership. And I think vulnerability is such a... Um, a cornerstone to authentic leadership and, you know, like all the work that Dr. Brené Brown did on vulnerability, but there's still, it still amazes me that there's still a huge percentage of leaders that think showing vulnerability is um, a sign of weakness and, and they still think they need to have all the answers. And so it's, it's so great to hear that you've stepped into that and it's not only, and you've realized it's not only been beneficial for yourself, but also for your team. And, and I also say to leaders, it, it, it should be a bit of a relief that, you know, you don't have to have all the answers and, and people don't want you to have the answers. They would, they want to get involved. So I'm, I'm glad think, you. Yeah. And I think also just adding to that, I think probably the most important place it shows up as a, as a father. Right, that if you show vulnerability to your children and you haven't got this, or you're being stoic, um, you know, or you're bottling in your emotions, that can't be helpful for their own their own growth and, and creating an environment where they can be their true selves. Mm. Um, so I think for me, that's been a really important thing as well, is showing that vulnerability to your children so that they can learn and adapt and you know hit that uh, learning curve earlier than I did in my career. Mm. And I'd imagine the the grief you've all gone through in the last 12 months, that's probably helped um, you and your children step into that, I guess. Okay. I feel like that that was a bad segue in speaking about that, Grant, but I I do want to now end on a few quick questions. So thank you so much for your time, but we are going to end on a few quick questions. What is the one meal you love cooking? Barbecue and salad. <laughs> I was going to make, and wonder if it was pizza from your Pizza Hut days. Oh, I love making pizza. My 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 piece de resistance is uh, is uh, chicken and spinach cannelloni. Oh, that's oh. like a two and a half hour. So you know the person that I create that for has to be pretty special to go down that pathway. Um, and I seldomly pull it out, but it's stunning and I love it to bits. But um, I could have barbecue and salad every night of the week. Oh, excellent! Nice. Barbecue and barbecue and salad, so healthy. Okay, what's your favourite 80s song or artist? Simple one, artist, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, Dave Grohl, All Day Long, um, Seattle Grunge, you know, that era was was wicked, but um, had the privilege of seeing Nirvana a few times in Auckland um, and, and I still listen to Nirvana regularly now. Wow, that's cool. Uh, final question. If you could give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would that be? This is a fantastic question. I think for me, I would say, young man, trust your gut. It's going to be a blast. 
Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I remember I interviewed Lane Beachley and her advice to her 20 year old self was lighten the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Grant, thank you so much. So it's been such a pleasure to, like I said before, not only work with you and your team, but, but to spend, you know, uh, the time we had now on this podcast, your insights to vulnerability, um, your insights to getting over your perfectionism, I hope are valuable to anyone that's listening because I truly do believe that um, for leaders to be authentic, they need to be able to show vulnerability. So thank you so much for being part of it and um, I look forward to speaking to you later. Thank you. It's been great to be on. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Authentic Leadership Podcast. We welcome your suggestions for leaders you would like to hear from in future episodes.